0: I'm Charlie Taylor. I'm Ben Carter. I run hip-hop by the numbers on Twitter. I use hip-hop statistics to highlight the bigger picture.
1: And I am Dread to the Fifth Element, where I highlight the fifth element of hip-hop, which is knowledge. D-I-T-D is hard as hell. Every other pod got whack personnel. We excel. Never dwell. It's Charlie and Ben on the mic, rocking the bells. Hey. <laughs>
0: Paid off, man. Paid off. That was that was beautiful to behold.
1: <laughs>
0: it was beautiful to see.
1: <gasps> oh, 30 seconds. Little no, it of, a little bit took, it took a minute. it
0: took a bit. A little bit of growl in your uh, in your voice there too. You know, a little bit of menace.
1: I it, it, it's Arr. if I was in my if I was in my own place, I'd literally back up the mic and generally shout it. But instead. You get the growl, you That's know fair. what I mean. You, That's you fair. get yes, it 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 delivers what I'm trying to go for in 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 the performance.
0: <laughs> the performance
1: specter. I'm trying like I'm trying like it needs to be broken down like a, <laughs> in uh, the right, the ecosystem go. of the performance. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like fucking, let's, let's break down the semiotics of um, of this. Hi Ben. How's your week been? What have you been to this week?
0: Uh, This week I listened to, so I did get to Doja Cat's Planet Hurt. Now, I was not in a poppy place when this dropped, so I kind of avoided it for about a week. But yesterday it was a bit of an odd mood, which I'll talk about in our lighter note. I actually have a lighter note this week, which is very exciting for everyone concerned, I'm
1: sure. It's been a good
0: solid six months before I had a lighter note, so... um, but yeah, man, I listened to this uh, last night. I spun it four times in a row according to Last FM. I just kept listening to it. And I think it's amazing. It's really quite experimental. I definitely feel like The Planet Her is a reference to creating an immersive listening experience and kind of dragging the audience into her orbit. And I think what's most impressive about this is it's very cohesive. It sounds really good front to back. There's only a couple of songs that I wasn't really enjoying and this is Doja Cat, you know, she had a song called Moo. She's not like she she's not against meming herself to to, you know, have commercial success, but it's very clear that she is supremely talented outside of any memeable qualities and um yeah, man, this is this is great. This is really good. She doesn't need those gimmicks or memes to excel commercially. She just makes good music. Kiss Me More is an amazing song. I I don't know how that hasn't gone number 1 yet. It really should. I would fully recommend this this record. It's a beautiful blend of pop and rap. I really only feel like Lil Nas X is doing this kind of music better at the moment, which is high praise. I I do think it's very hard to create genuine genuinely good crossover pop rap. It's not a simple formula. A lot of people have tried it. It's just it's not that easy, man. It sounds like it would be easy, but it's not. You have to be nuanced on both parts. You have to walk a very thin line to make sure that you're, you know, it's it's hard to do. It's hard to do. It's hard to even describe because it's it's yeah an innate quality. But this album was great. Very intricate. I really enjoyed it. Uh, Twenty five by G Herbo. I feel like this is his best project. The emotional pain on here is very intense. This this album feels like it just lives and breathes. His first song is titled "I Don't Want to Die." The second is "Cry No More." Very very uh, you know it's a tough listen, man. It's a tough listen. Some of the stuff G Herbo's been through, and yeah, it's... I think what he lacks in technical ability at the moment, I think that's not to say he won't increase as he gets older. I think he's just going to continue to get better as he gets older and, and creates more music. But at this level, like he's just he makes up for it in, in message and emotion. This is a really stunning album. I really thought G-Herbo excelled himself on here. It's going to sell 50K first week, which is decent. Um, it's a really good project. Magnetic, The Shaman, Three Treasures... Uh, he signed a Ben Beals label, which is Birdhouse. His EP is like really warm and cozy, and he can rap like really, really rap. The first track is really great; it gives me like a Mac Homie type of feel. Great project to put on and spin back to front a few times. And finally, Young in Ace, Life of Betrayal, two times. Uh, really, again, another deep project. A lot of PTSD on this record uh you know the song with king von is a tough listen uh in hindsight it's a it's a tough listen man to be perfectly honest the the pain and the emotional trauma he's gone through and the production on here isn't even that elaborate to be honest it's it's pretty simple with regards to what's relevant at the moment but young and ace is just supremely talented at getting his point across and getting his emotions across and similar to g herbo in that sense it's it's again a tough listen but um yeah, really, really good project. So that's what I got into this week. What about yourself, Charlie?
1: Uh, yeah,
0: um, I got into uh, five little projects
1: right quick. Um, well, not right quick, but you know what I mean. Uh, start off with Salt uh, 9, uh, the semi-anonymous uh, uh, group, band, whatever you want to call it. Um, I know for sure that it's like Clio Soul and Inflow. Um, I don't know who else is in there, but I definitely know it's Clio Soul and Inflow. Um but anyway, semi anonymous, go look them up, they're lit. Um but yeah, nine is a, another, you know, tight project from them. Um uh it doesn't go on for too long, I think like 30 something minutes. Um and yeah, I just they're so <sighs> the 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 nature of just them as a as a as a group is so tantalizing and fascinating. Uh and their work just comes off so organic and uh, what they talk about is extremely poetic and i just you're just not going to hear you know commentary about uh uh london gangs for example uh in this way it just comes off like like true art and uh you know i have to mention little sims feature on you from london and it's great um but past that man it's just you know it's it just it just hits. It it just hits. I, I can't. I can't really speak too much on it. It's just so. It, it's just so floaty, but because of it because it gives you it puts you in that like a uh, full sense of uh so full sense of security. But what they're actually talking about um is real shit. Um and then when you actually listen to that, it just um uh just sends you somewhere. Uh but anyway yeah. Solid project as always. Um, evidence, evidence uh, unlearning volume one. Mm, uh, good project. <laughs> the th- the thing with the the thing with evidence for me is like his his bars are great, but like it's the is the it's the delivery comes off so chill that I sometimes just uh tune out on that front and just listen to the beats, which the production on here is so top tier. Mm. Love the production on here. Uh, I love I love the production, but um, yeah. Sometimes I just get a bit lost in 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 the in the, because like, his voice isn't that commanding, you know what I mean. So, uh, sometimes I have to like actively go, actively have to listen to it, um, in that case. But when you get when you when I get over that hurdle, um, the bars are just super great. Um, uh, the the yeah, they're just they're just, they are just they are just so um, they're very personal. As always, uh, the features are good as well. Um, you know, Conway's on here. Boldy's on here. Murkish Dave on Won't Give Up the Dangerous. So nice. I love that track. Uh, Navy Blue, Fly Anakin. Yeah, man, it's just, uh, it's just a real solid project. I really enjoyed this one. Um, you know, it's nice 42 minutes. Uh, doesn't doesn't overstay its welcome, but gives you just enough um, to feel like a full meal in that case. And yeah, man, a wonderful project. Uh, Declaim and Madlib um in the beginning, Volume 1. Uh, this gives off really this I don't know why, but this gave off like alternate uh came in me like backpack hip hop sort of like you know, of like Mos Def Talibera kind of thing. Mm. Uh in terms of the production especially from Mad Lib, it, it feels very early 2000s-y. Um and declaim comes in with some really uh especially in the especially like uh, with black and uh uh two mc95 like there's really uh what's the word there's there's really powerful language behind uh, from what the claim saying um which can really go over your head from the really chill (laughs) from the really chill production um and there's also a couple of just uh straight up instrumental tracks which um you know as i said uh, as i've said a couple of times i am always here for uh to you know just br- just break it up a little bit uh just break up the flow and uh yeah man love the project solid uh laura and vula uh pink noise mm. i told ben th- I, t- I told ben uh, uh as soon as i stopped as soon as i finished this uh I finished listening to it i was just like i knew i'd like it but i didn't know i'd love it this much oh, like it, it, it oh, fuck she fucking nailed it bro yep. nailed it she is in the running for the triple crown which uh for those that don't know i do uh uh i do um end of year lists so i do songs eps and albums and i claim my personal triple crown is someone that has that is in all three lists in some fashion um and yeah man she's in the freaking running um this is definitely on the long list uh, potentially on the short list. Uh, yeah, it it just, I I just love it. Um, the way she the way she has come back is so fascinating to me because previously, you know, she's had this she's had the foundation of very classically trained background, and the fact that you get that, but with the reinvention that she has done for herself with this you know full on eighties homage, um, church girl absolutely bangs. Uh, the the I think it's the synth keys. I'm not too into. I'm not too knowledgeable in like uh, instrumentation, but like I feel like his synth keys on "Remedy," the yep. ding, 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 just oh god, just I don't know, and like the bass behind that, oh oh, it's so freaking nice. It's so freaking nice. Um, and even with something like uh, "Golden Ashes," which really uh brings home what I'm talking about when it comes to like how she took what was great about her... And not to say her previous work wasn't great, right? Her, bre- her previous work is great. Uh, let's just say that out of the bat, right? But the fact that she's taken this reinvention and have and has... Because sometimes people reinvent themselves and leave behind literally everything uh, about them in that, in, in that kind of way, and it can be to a detriment. But the fact that Mvul has taken, you know, what, what has been truly great about herself, which is her songwriting her vocal stacking uh, and just her foundational skills in, you know, in just being about music. Um, And it's taken that and it's taken this, has taken that and has put it into this and has incorporated the eighties theme and stuff like that. It's just amazing to me. It's just amazing how perfect she's actually got this down um, in, uh, in 10 tracks. And uh, you know, what matters is great uh, with, a. I think that's the lead dude from Biffy Clyro, um, Simon Neil. Tame I don't know, not into that. But uh, I'm I'm taking it. I'm t- I think so. I think yeah. I saw that somewhere. Oh, did I get it right? Go me. I there so. you go. Yeah, I think so. Oh, oh God! Look at me. When's the rock podcast? When we're we doing the rock podcast spin? When we're we, oh. we, we stretching off? <laughs>
0: I mean, we can anytime you want, but it's going to be an You're odd good. podcast. I'm, I'm
1: good. Yeah, I'm good. Thanks, I'm good. Uh, I'll, st- I'll stick to this. Um, but yeah, man, the the duo that's on that is great. She just kills him, to be honest. Like, like she eats him alive. Um, but um, yeah, got me bangs. Uh, super di- super disco. Uh, I just I just really want to listen to this album uh, while r- while riding uh, uh, them. Uh, while riding roller skates, it just it just feels like that kind of album. Um, and lastly, uh, her, H E R, her, her. Mm. Uh, back of my mind, I've been a fan of her like since like Volume One, Volume Two. I found that shit just super boss. Um, it, it was just it was just really I don't know. It's just like that really. It was a real perfect example of that kind of R and B that was going on at that time. Um, you know, like f- f- emphasised by people like Bryce and Taylor and them, but she really just she really just took that and just blew out the water. Um, and then it comes to this, which is obviously her full debut album, um, and it's 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 very bulky. I think it shouldn't be as long as it is. It's like a, it's like eighty something minutes. Um, I I don't think eighty something, seventy minutes, seventy something minutes. It's an hour and fifteen something like that. And uh yeah I feel like it's a bit too bulky on that front. I feel like the uh like the the little baby feature find a way I don't really like that song overall. Um you know, I'm not the biggest fan of Chris Brown, but I guess that song's serviceable. Um yeah, I I I don't know. And I'll see Slide. I'm not really too I wasn't really too into that song. It's kind of shoehorned into the as the last track just because because uh, clearly it couldn't fit anywhere else, so they just put it to the end as like a, I don't know, like a credit scene. I feel like the end of the album is for anyone, and the last two tracks are just like them, them bonus tracks that are not, they're not top, they're not explicitly said as bonus tracks, but I feel like that's what it, they are. Um, so yeah, I'd I'd been a couple of tracks and tighten this up to like around an hour or five, um, but you know, past that, her, the the tracks where it's just her. I don't really have any of those tracks. I can't really complain much. Maybe Lucky. Not really. I wasn't really into that one. Um, Trauma with Corday Slapped. I didn't really expect that kind of. That kind of. Uh, I don't know. That kind of. Uh, uh, just a bit. Just just the overall song itself. You know what I mean? It, it's, it's it's very different to the rest. Um, uh, I just didn't really expect that to be so good. And I actually enjoyed that one. Um, but yeah. Shout out to her, man. Like, um, you know. She's. She's. You know clearly industry like uh you know back to the fucking max right she's got she's got the weight of the fucking uh, world behind her man like she she's she's got she's got all the power uh on on, on that front she if you, if you want a single she's got you um jesus christ she has so many singles um but yeah man shout out to her man she's she's creatively gifted and uh that's clear uh from her music and um yeah it doesn't it doesn't seem it doesn't come off as manufactured it, it seems organic to me and mm. I, I I can respect that. Yeah. But with that said we hop into our topic of this episode it, we are beginning a two-parter on the one the only ladies love cool James. <laughs> <laughs> A.K.A. hello Cool J. Um this is kind of one of those episodes where like uh Ben's going to carry and I'm just going to be like, "Oh, that's interesting." Um, but that's good because I I I'm I'm here to learn and uh, I haven't really gotten into much LL Call J music. Um, we are going to go from radio to Mr Smith uh,
0: for this oh, episode. 14 shots, and 14 shots. This one, and then we'll go Mr. I Smith. I
1: swear you said Mr Smith. No, because it... so if I go in the, so if I go in the signal chat and I, I don't see and if I type up Mr Smith, it's not going to be there. yeah?
0: It will be there, but it will be me saying Mr Smith next week, and then onwards. No, no, no. I
1: to... said see... mm, okay. Oh, okay. Well, well, you know what? While I while I look that up and expose you uh, okay. for the th- fraud that you are, um you can go ahead and uh, and, do your, and do your things.
0: Well, there's a, there's there's no one in hip hop who did what LL Cool J has done because he was the first at so many things and everything he did after that could only grow his influence and his legend. Like that sounds like a lot, but by the end of this episode I hope to impress upon people that this man is just at the start of so many things. Incredible, incredible. So, LL Cool J's I Need A Beat is the very first release with a Def Jam catalog number on it. Think about how iconic Def Jam is now. Okay, like, LL Cool J was the first with a Def Jam catalog number, that's incredible. He was the first hip-hop act ever on American Bandstand, which was a massive achievement, man. And it actually went on to influence a lot of artists. You know, I, I forget all the artists that I've heard mention this, but I've, I've listened to quite a lot of interviews over the last 10 years, and a lot of people mention that. A lot of people say, you know, when they saw LL Cool J on American Bandstand, they thought, well, I could, I could be rich as well, and I could be commercially successful as well making hip-hop music. So that was a massive moment. I Need Love is credited as the first-ever hip-hop crossover hit. So it was one of the first-ever hip-hop songs, firstly, to see mainstream success in the UK, where it went number eight. And a lot of people credit him for creating the rap ballad with that song. Um, Bigger and Deffer was the third hip hop album in history to chart top ten on the Billboard 200, and the first two were licensed to Ill by the Beastie Boys and Run DMC's Raising Hell. So that's first solo rapper to, uh, or the first solo act to go top ten in hip hop on the Billboard 200. And Radio is the first album that Rick Rubin ever produced in full. Bro, that is crazy to me, you know? He was on, uh, I think Hose was the band that Rick Rubin was part of. So that lists him as producer on every song. But he was a guitar player in that band, I'm pretty sure. So this was just him as a producer. One of the most influential producers of all time ever, an LL. So LL, man, this is 1985 that happened. 1984, I Need a Beat came out on Def Jam. So his commercial success in the 80s was pivotal for a number of reasons. He explained on his Drink Champs interview that love songs and R&B ballads were not seen as cool for hip-hop acts at the time. There were a lot of tracks aimed at women. I mean, obviously, Curtis Blow existed, and All I Want in This World is definitely an early precursor to some of LL's music. But they weren't the norm, and they weren't crossover hits. You know, Curtis Blow didn't even release that song as a single. So LL's name is, as Charlie said, Ladies Love Cool James. Now, you know, that's... (sighs) That's a very that's an interesting title for a name. Like especially as gangster rap was beginning to take take hold in the late the late 80s. And LL just just owned it, man. He just totally owned it. He didn't care about all that stuff. He's just like this is just who he was. And he transitioned. This is the most important thing about LL Cool J's career. As he said in the Drinks Champs interview, he was never interested in the business side. He actually owns his own catalog courtesy of a deal he did with Def Jam during the first renegotiation of his contract. But when people were desperate for him to take over the helm at Def Jam, he shied away from it. And he said he's a musician and an artist and not a businessman. He even said when he first did I Need a Beat, he had no contract with Def Jam. And it was actually really fascinating listening to talk about all this on on Drink Champs. Because when you think about it, LL's Def Jam Association is one of the most influential and important in hip-hop history. And he said the thing was that because he was around uh, hustlers and, and people like that around early, he knew how to negotiate, how to ask for more, and how to ensure he didn't get ripped off. And he said a lot of artists, uh, they're very naive when they come into the business. And so LL was a pioneer in that way of um, you know creating a business situation that's beneficial to you as the artist. A lot of people see a record deal as the be-all and end-all, but you know LL recognized that he deserved a lot of credit and he ended up with his own his whole catalog that's incredible man um and obviously he transitioned into acting which is he's far well he's far more well known for that in 2021 for his acting than his recent musical output output but like he's done 39 major tv and film credits since 93 and his movies have grossed over one billion dollars at the box office so like all of that, and I'll get into his backstory in a second. But I wouldn't mind Charlie reacting to all that. That's why LL Cool J is a legend, and why he will always be a legend, and you will always hear people big him up because he just did so much at the start of his career. And man, it's just he's a pioneer in a lot of ways. I I, I think the I think the Def Jam side of it is very
1: fascinating to me, <clears throat> um, especially how. Um, you know, uh, the early 80s are very uh, muggy uh, the longer we go uh, as it pertains to hip-hop history. I feel like a lot of the time uh, we focus a lot on, you know, 90s onwards and don't really, you know, apart from a few albums here and there, you know what I mean? The Public Enemies, The uh, Licensed to Ill, as you mentioned, Raising Hell, um, you know, we don't re- people don't really talk about the eighties eighties uh, hip hop that much, um, unless they're just like really dug into a certain artist. You know, for someone like uh, for me, for me personally, uh, I feel like um, uh, maybe someone like a Big Daddy Kane. I feel um, is is kind of one of those one of those people for me, where you know that was obviously late eighties eighty eight eighty nine was eighty eight was a, a long lived the cane. But uh, you know, I, I feel like that's when. Uh, th- 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 after that, after that, like 87, 88, there was like a there was a bit of a sea change there, right? Um, you can you can, um, y- you can see that little you can see a little bit of change there. But just before that, it's a very fascinating time to me. Uh, thinking about obviously radio, which um is the first album we're gonna get into. Um, yeah, I dropped in eighty five, recording over eighty four, and. I'm just trying, I was, I was just trying to, like, think of, uh, I don't know, I feel like if, if you asked me if I wanted to be, like, a fly on a wall to something, I feel like something like that, like a radio recording session, would be very fascinating to me, because I would just like, because, you know, it's one of those things where that's new territory in in a lot of ways, that's new territory. That was Def Radio was Def Jam's uh, first full album if I'm if I'm uh, uh, if I'm uh, full length album release if I'm uh, if I'm correct um, so yeah that's <laughs> that's that's new that's new shit so so how you uh, did they market it did they just drop it you know what I mean like what did they what did they do after it uh, I just find that entire uh, subset of hip hop history very fascinating because I feel like we have a lot of on the beginning. We have a lot on, you know, after the blackout, Cold Crush Brothers, Treacherous Three, stuff like that. And then there's just like the the early to mid eight early to mid eighties where it's just a just a little bit just a little bit forgotten about and it needs some love. So uh you know, I hope we were doing that a little bit with this. Uh just uh, covering obviously um LL's uh, first half of his discography, which as Ben has seen on Signal yeah, no, So right. end at Mr. Smith. You're right. Um so we are ending a Mr. Smith. Well, I mean, uh, I'm not picture. going
0: to talk about Mr. Smith this week, but you certainly can. I I completely forgot. What I the blanked. fuck? No, I blanked. I I don't know. I I, I miscounted. Poorly. Of what
1: so you didn't spin, or
0: I've spun yeah. it, but I don't have anything prepared for it. It'll it'll I'll have to talk about it next week because I um I, I can I can talk about, it, but I, it's a whole you know, it's a whole process <sighs> to my it's not i just don't just listen and I, then I, talk I'll stop I, at 14 shots I right, no, well you know what you know
1: what we'll leave it at that we'll, we'll we'll do we'll do it at 14 shots because i'll need an intro for a uh for next week and i feel like that'll be the best one to do it um mm-hmm. all right fine anyway side note just just live producing guys just live producing to, to, to allow it allow it let it happen uh you're, you're behind all, the curtain on this one it's organic <laughs> it's just an
0: organic process that we go through you know
1: <laughs> behind the curtain <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah anyway so uh, yeah we we, we can could, we could jump to radio I've, I've kind of half uh, touched on it but we can get to it if you want.
0: yeah I'll just talk about what led up to radio first because his story is really okay. interesting like it's kind of mind-boggling so his father actually shot his mother and his grandfather when LL was only four years old and they both survived but LL was the first to find them after they'd been shot And he sat down with Oprah and he said that his mother forgave his father for shooting her. And so LL said, I have learned to hand out the mercy that I like to receive. I think that's important. And it didn't really improve for LL even after this happened, um, after this incident, because his mother started dating someone who would beat him. And again, he told uh, Oprah, he said, this is verbatim, Roscoe beat me for just about anything. He would beat me for watching television, for looking at him funny, for looking out the window, watching other kids play. He didn't need a good reason. It was just a power trip. And this is not like El grew up in freaking Massachusetts either. Or like, you know, it's not, it, wasn't a, it wasn't a nice place in Queens that he was growing up. Like there was a documentary where he went back and he went back over his old neighborhood and he told some pretty crazy stories about what was going on. Um, so it was very difficult for him growing up and he began to fall in love with hip-hop he said when he first heard the furious five at age nine obviously treacherous three is involved there as well he began rapping at age 10 and his mother uh, told that ll documentary that he was obsessed with music which was much to her joy because all he would do is stay home and create and he'd bring people around to create music with him and rather than be outside he would you know stay indoors and his grandfather bought him two thousand dollars worth of equipment and and LL used it to create his early demo tapes. Now, Def Jam was around, and we've obviously done Def Jam uh, retrospective, so we know the history. And if you don't know it, go back to that episode. It's a really great episode. But um, Rick Rubin had produced Teela Rock's It's Yours, and the address of Rick's dorm room was on the sleeve. Now, it was actually Ad Rock of the Beastie Boys who was listening to most of the demos that were being sent to that dorm room because Rick Rubin was not super keen on it. So LL Cool J had sent his demo in, and it was Ad Rock who actually first heard it. And LL said, when I heard It's Yours, I sent a tape to the address on the cover of the single, 5 University Place, and his phone number was on the label. So I called Rick every day for like two weeks. Rick, you get the tape yet? Nope. Yo, Rick, you get the tape yet? Nope. But Ad Rock listened to my demo, and he let Rick hear it. So LL had recorded bars over the beat for It's Yours and Ad-Rock really liked it. So LL actually titled it Ladies Love Cool James. And Rick said that they uh, they both laughed at that, him and Ad-Rock at the title, which apparently was a good sign according to Rick. So LL says, Rick actually called me back at my house one day. I wasn't there, but my grandmother answered. Um, and so, yeah, this was basically it. And Ad-Rock says this, he like, I like this bit. He says he was a kid he had the classic early 80s b-boy look, tight jeans, adidas shell toes, fat laces going up the leg, a Kangol, La Tigre shirt, and LL was just like, who the fuck are these people? Um, and so like, not only that, but Rick Ribbon was in this weird dorm room, and I'm assuming LL expected it to be an office with a secretary and coffee like on TV, he was just shocked. And I, I, find, that, I find that so cool about Def Jam at the start anyway, just... Just the way it came together, man, was about the music. It was just about the music, and I loved that. So it was apparently, according to Ad Rock, he actually produced I Need a Beat, and he was credited on the single but not on the album. That's according to Ad Rock. Um, But I think that's probably because Rick Rubin actually remixed it for the album, and the other producer listed is Jazzy J, so I'm not really sure what's going on with that. But um, Rick played that song, I Need a Beat. Uh, for Russell, and Russell loved it. And they decided, rather than put it out via profile, which is another label, they'd try and go it alone. So this was the genesis, man. This was the start of Def Jam. They're like, instead of putting this out independently... uh, Sorry, instead of putting this out in conjunction with another label, let's do it independently. And it struck gold. It started selling. Rick's profile grew. Def Jam became the cool trendy label with LL at the front. And there's this GQ piece on LL's influence in early Def Jam success. And everyone from... Ludacris to Scarface to Chris Lighty, they were all saying it was LL, you know, that was who turned them on. And Scarface even said when Def Jam put out singles, we didn't even care who the artist was anymore because we began to respect the brand. And that song sold over a hundred thousand copies and the label was created and radio was there. And radio he said that he took a fifty thousand dollar advance for radio with a two hundred and fifty thousand dollar budget, which is so Wild look at the math here, right? One year after I Need a Beat, Russell Simmons had to give Rick Rubin $2,100 to put out I Need a Beat independently. Now, the impact of that song is that a year later, he had $250,000 on a budget to spend from one song. And you know, that I'm not saying that that's the only song that sold that Def Jam had, but that song was the one that you know created Def Jam as a genuine label. And then bro, it's, it's amazing, man. And Radio is LL Cool J's first classic album. It's filled with, I think, everything that's brilliant about him. He was 16 while the album was being recorded and he'd actually earned so much with his advance. He dropped out of school. He moved out of home, Psych. bought himself a brand new Audi. And this is what Rick Rubin said. There were no expectations. Everything was done through trial and error. As long as it sounded good, it didn't matter how technically wrong it might be. That was via Q, And I, I think that's really cool. Like I think that gives us a bit of an idea of what that process was recording. Has an 89 review average. It went eight, uh, platinum in 1988, and it's a smash. And it's not a hot take to say this is his best album because it still sounds good in 2021. It's one of those very rare albums that stands up to the test of time. I'm just going to – let me finish. Let me finish. It showcases <laughs> – Let just just let me finish, man. So firstly, right, so first take. You Can't Dance is legit hilarious. That is a really hilarious song. I love that. Sure, sure. I think Rock the Bells, he's basically predicting the future. He's like, I'll battle anybody, I don't care who you tell, I excel. They all fell. Like it's just, he and then <clears> he has <throat> he has the love songs, man. He has the love songs. And the, this is what I want to say about why it sounds still relevant in twenty twenty one. It's Rick Rubin. So The drums are front and center on this record, and the beats might sound outdated to people, uh, you know, listening to, but the thing is that the building blocks were on this. This is boom-bap, you know. This is the next 20 years. This is how producers build hip-hop songs. They started with the beats, with the drums. And Kanye West said for the first 10 years he was a producer, he was forever trying to perfect his drums. Jay Dilla became the drum artisan. It's always been drums at the heart of the greatest hip-hop beats, I feel, anyway. And I think the reason for me this holds up so well is because these are just stripped back beats. You can put whatever you want on top of them, but that's just the garnish. It's drums and lyrics, and that's and LL <laughs> has it. He has the personality. The drums sound great. Um, the only thing that did not age well on this is "Dear Yvette. That's not a good song. That's <laughs> that's a bad song. It's it's not a good song. I hook. <laughs> But I'm sure LL would admit in 2021, in in two, in maybe 1992, that this is not, you know, it's it's very dated. But aside from that, look, man, I'm standing mm-hmm. on that. I'm saying yeah. I listen to radio in 2021. I'm still, I'm I'm loving it, man.
1: Yeah, you
0: bet? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> you bet. So it's not great, man. <laughs> oh gosh. Oh, I I that was outstanding to
1: this to. I was just like, what the fuck is this hook? <laughs> what a hook! What a hook! Okay, um, I right, uh, the age side of it, um, I, I I I do not agree. Uh, it's it sounds 1985, and it still sounds uh, 1985. Okay, and that's fine. Yeah, I'm I'm fine with that. That's fine. But let's not act like it's age like a fine wine okay that i'm acting weird, that weird. way man i'm i'm stuck okay well i'm on the you, hill
0: you, the the flag is planted i've set up <coughs> camp i'm there
1: all right well I'm just chill all right well uh f- right, well you know if you want to be loud and wrong go ahead but anyway um so it is what it is on that front right i can i can i can mess with i can mess with that i'm cool with that right i'm, I'm cool with that uh the other point that you made uh which has totally gone out of my mind uh that's so annoying Oh, what was it? Damn. Okay, I'll continue on. Fuck it. Anyway, but the the my main gripe, my main gripe about it, and actually, let me let me say something I like about it. Actually, because I feel like I'm shitting on it and saying it's trash. Like I like this album, right? I I I enjoy this album. Rock the bells is a stone cold classic. Like it, it's just, it's just unstoppable. That that <clears throat> is just, <laughs> oh my gosh, it just fucking knocks. Right. Oh yeah, I remember what you said. Okay. You you meant, you said something about uh uh you know uh, the fact that you know f- because it's so skeletal, that's fine, right? No. No, 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 no. It's, it's skeletal because it's skeletal. Okay? They <laughs> didn't think about adding more shit. You, 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 most music we listen to has more layers, okay? And we enjoy it for those layers. Uh you can't you can't praise this for for the lack I mean, of layers. I don't to be I fair, feel like I, that's
0: a cop out. I can praise it cuz It's true. And like one of the biggest enduring legacies of this is the fact that it was the stripped back sound. Like that was one of the things. And they said Rick Rubin actually wrote on the. Uh, sleeve instead of produced by Rick Rubin, he called it reduced by Rick Rubin because he was proud of the stripped back style. And uh, to be to be fair, man, That's what I like about it. Like, uh, okay, all
1: right, It's right. well, the thing. Come on now,
0: I've I've read Wikipedia. There's like, levels to it. Now. There's come there's levels now. to it. There's level. I'm,
1: okay, I, I, okay, you got the t- you got the you got the you got the receipts. I'm fine yeah, I'm with that. I'm receipts. cool with that. I I'm just saying, I'm not in, I'm not too into totally uh, the strip back The strip back notion of it. Um, to to quote to quote a, uh, a notorious take I have about grinding this is, this comes a lot of this comes off as uh, uh, I can make this beat on my table right now And that's fine. that's fine. I, I'm cool with it. I'm fine with it. I'm just saying it is what it is. okay but my main gripe about it is the track I can uh, I can give you more um because you know you talk about I need love and we'll get to that because uh, it's good this one it doesn't fit for me not because of the lyrical content but because of those beats it just doesn't fit like if because and this is partly because like, if it if I listened to this album like you know in 1985 I wouldn't re- I don't know if I'd have as much as a gripe with, with this particular track as I do now, because I know what a great love ballad is, and, you know, the layers that people have on their stuff, you know, Cool J has it on several tracks afterwards in in several of his albums, right, it comes, they come off so well done, this one is just like, okay, let's just have the same beat we had for, uh, 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 for, uh, uh, I Can't Believe About My Radio, and slap it on this, and have him sing, it just, it, it don't mesh. It don't mesh for me. Um but that's just that one track. It it doesn't it doesn't really mesh for me. Um but apart from that, you know, this is this is great. it's it's, it's peak nineteen eighty five hip hop. I can uh, I feel transported to I feel like I wanna break dance for a couple of these tracks and just like, you know, just pop some shapes. Um I'm here for that. I'm here for the b boy energy. I'm here for the teenage just aggro. Um he, he just he just screams everything. It's just... It's just... It's fucking sick. Um, uh, you know, I Need a Beat just bangs for me. I love... I, I, I like that track. <clears throat> like in a melody but still complete. Provide musical energy for the street. Lyrics are smooth, maximum effect. Drum patterns... Drum track patterns are preset. Tom, Tom, snare. Hats, bass and cymbal. Like that. Cat on the mic, I'm nimble. Bangs. It bangs. So, you know, uh, while I do have gripes uh, of the age part of this... Um, he hasn't, but uh, you know, as a nine eighty five hip hop album, it's 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 top of the
0: class. So yeah, we get bigger and deeper, which comes out in eighty seven, and as I said, third hip hop album to go top ten Billboard two hundred. It's the first hip hop album in history to go platinum with no features, and then it went multi platinum <laughs> with saying, no features. He yeah.
1: stole it. He stole it. <laughs> yeah, man. I was gonna say that. I was gonna say. I was, I was gonna say, make a J Cole joke, but you, you stole it for me.
0: Okay, but where did you find that information because I was certain I was the one who discovered this. Am I might I might I might be wrong. Someone else might have discovered I, I, this. I I
1: was I was going to say I, I was I, I was going to mention it on the intro because I was pretty sure that at least one of these albums had to have gone platinum with no features <laughs> cuz he didn't oh, okay. have a fucking feature for most of them. So I was just wondering. It was a complete guess, but I'm glad you I'm glad you uh, no, uh, 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 factualized it. So yeah.
0: Well, it would have been radio, but uh, Russell is on. Russell's on it. Yeah, that's a lot. That's what I was thinking
1: because so, I was I was looking on Spotify thing and I was like, oh my gosh, he, So he must have he must have got platinum no features, right? But then he I looked him, up, man. so yeah,
0: he was the first. He yeah. was the first and the first to go multi platinum. Sure. So I think MC Hammer did Sweet. it like a six months later. But yeah, bigger and Defo, man. And um, yeah, the records definitely change and he he linked up with LA Posse and fused the sounds of New York and LA before Ice Cube would do it with the Bomb Squad. And it actually charted everywhere, man. It went Netherlands, Germany, New Zealand, UK. And this was the one that catapulted him to superstar status. And I Need Love is one of the most iconic tracks in hip-hop history. It went number 14 on the Hot 100, top 10 in four other countries. The song is really good. The song is really good. As soon as you hear that synth riff, you just, you kind of know you're in for something special and he takes it there. And i think it i mean it is it's a r&b hip-hop crossover and it's a love song and this wasn't happening at this level you know this is pre-queen latifah uh if we're going down the hip-hop ballad route pre Bismarcky pre ceelo green this is you know there were songs like this around but they weren't going number 14 on the hot 100 and he doesn't he has first man this guy has first it's incredible um and for, for, to put that song on there and for it to do what it did, I think that's bravery. As he said, he said guys weren't listening to him a lot because of the love songs. So it actually went number one on the hot R&B chart, that song. And I do like the album a lot, but it does sound a little bit dated now because Native Tongues were a year away. And <coughs> look, man, that's the thing, though. That's the thing. And that's the problem that he's going to walk into over his next couple of hours if we set the scene because the do what became outdated and then they began to fuse, like jazz and funk with hip-hop beats in a much cleaner way so like that's the difference and obviously the doo-wop is a you know it's a beginning of that but it's a very rudimentary version and the the album is at its best i think when it just sticks to that def jam root you know like the the rick rubin rock connection um like go cut create a go uh rock the bell style kind of thing and that's the problem that ll is gonna walk into over the next couple of albums um because hip-hop was changing dramatically and that's what I think is still fascinating about LL Cool J's story is he began in 1984 and over the next 10 years hip-hop changed exponentially like in a massive way it was huge and he had to keep navigating that that situation and um but bigger endeavor is his, his commercial breakthrough this one is a you know it's a it's a really high watermark for him commercially So you're just going to say this one didn't age, but radio did age? The reason why this one didn't age as well is because they put too much on top of it. This is my whole thing. If you just strip away all the synths and all the riffs and you just put out beats and bars, that can't age poorly, in my view, because it's just beats and bars. Like, what are you going to say? There's plenty of albums around like that for the next 10 years. Boom Bap is that. And so, like... As soon as you start putting stuff on top of it... No, 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 listen. As soon as you start putting stuff on <laughs> top of it, percussion is not dated. Percussion can't be dated. You can't be like, oh, these these drums are different now than they used to be. Like, they are. Like, 808s, trap drums, you put filters and mixes on and everything like that. It's going to sound like a certain era, but that doesn't mean it's not going to be relevant. But when you start putting synths on top of things and you start putting riffs on top of things, now you're tapping into the, the sound of the time... And you're coming up against the like the technological ceiling in that sense because equipment is different back then than what it is now, and that's where you're going to end up. You're going to sound a little bit more dated because it's going to sound like of the times. If you strip it all away, then you don't have to worry about that stuff, bro. This is uh, uh, why this is why Led Zeppelin <laughs> doesn't sound dated. Okay, listen. This is why Led Zeppelin doesn't sound dated because it's guitars. It's guitars, man. It's 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 a it's like an organic instrument that you can't fuck up. Like you can fuck up, of course. But, Like it's not it's not a technological ceiling. There, it's just Led Zeppelin's never going to sound dated. You could be like, it's a bit rudimentary, or it's not as much this, and it's not as produced as well. Yeah, of course, man. But that's just the garnish. That's the garnish on top of it. That's my so, view. So,
1: so, 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 with your logic, like hymns I sung at school age well because clapping
0: hands is rudimentary but and see, that's this fine. Is a you difference. can't fuck up clapping hands this is a difference you can criticise radio for being too stripped back you can absolutely do that if that's the thing but you can't criticise it for being dated because it's not dated it's not like everything that was dropping in 85 was entirely stripped back and after 85 nothing was ever stripped back again it's not a, that's not a criticism based on the time period. It's a criticism that's valid based on your subjective opinion on the sound of the album. That's totally fair. You could say, if I'm using the Zeppelin example, you could be like, I don't like Zeppelin as much because they don't produce it as well, or there's not this on it, or there's no synths on top of it, or there's etc., etc. That's fine, but that's not a criticism of the time period. That's a criticism of subjective criticism of the mu- music and if you strip everything back, like it's not, you can't just can't call it dated. That's my point. Like you can criticize the music and say you don't like it. That's totally fine, but it doesn't mean it's dated. Dated means it's of the time. It's like it was relevant in '85, but it would never be relevant again for a specific reason. But there's no reason. no for that's that. that's not how I. Do, that's not
1: that's not my definition of dated.
0: But yeah, sure.
1: I'm not defining it as that. I'm not defining it as that. of. That it it it's not relevant anymore. I'm not saying it's not relevant anymore. I'm just saying it sounds like it was made in 1985. That's what i was saying. But what what quality does it have that makes you think that? You've stunned lot the fuck out of me with all this talking, and I'm just like... <laughs> my, my EP brain is going like, we need to continue. But I really want to argue. Oh my gosh.
0: Uh, because um, how many albums back then were entirely stripped back? Like if you played someone an album and then you said, "When was the stripped back sound?" You wouldn't be like 1985 because there was no <laughs> stripped back era. It's not a stripped back era. It's just You know what I mean like that's my point. Yeah, you can say it it's sounds It's my pre
1: it's my pre it's my it's my personal pre pre uh, pre pre, pre disposition of what a 1985 hip hop sounds like. And in some ways that's kind of some sort of respect to it because I th- I f- I see radio and I'm just like, that's nineteen eighty five. Okay, well that's that's understandable. I can see why that would influence it. Okay. Great. I uh, you, you said a lot, but <laughs> I'm just like, fuck. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Alright. Bad. Um I mean I I enjoy this album actually. Uh, I I actually probably enjoyed it on the radio. I mean that's I fair. It um, I'm bad uh, just uh, like he, he just fucking goes off like the, the the heat he comes by with that is absolutely absurd to me. I'm here for that. And I I feel I feel like it's one of those rare albums where like the energy just continues going on. Like he he starts off with I'm bad at really high, you know, high A high energy, and I don't think he really lets it go. Uh, for 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 most of it, it just keeps on going and going and going. And I'm here for that. Um, especially since it's only forty five minutes, it's not too long. So because of that, I just feel like it's a really, the whole thing is really energetic. Um, you you could obviously you know say I need love might you know slow the pace down. Um, but you know regardless of that, I feel I feel like it's a really um, uh, it's a really a cohesive listen for me personally, and I actually really enjoyed uh, just going from front to back with it. And I was just like, damn, this is good. This track's good. Damn, this is—he oh, ain't stopping, man. He, he keeps going and going. It's it's crazy. So, yeah, man, I, I really like. I really enjoy this album uh, highly. Uh, I just love the, <clears throat> I love the just, just the just the BDE that comes through throughout all of it. Um, it's big BDE energy. <laughs> Wait, B B is big in big oh, fucking. Big, 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 D-D-D-D-G, fucking hell. I'm tripping up on my abbreviations, but anyway. Um, or as acronym, I forget the word, but anyway.
0: Yeah, solid
1: album. Fuck it, let's just continue. Fucking yeah, up. it's a good album. You, you,
0: you, you, you threw me right off. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, that's that's a, that's a that's an arguing technique. You realise that, right? The word salad. I know, I know you, kind, I know you yeah. stunned locked the fuck out of me. That's what you did. I know yeah. you did, but I'm just, I'm just like, fucking hell, bro. Right? Yeah, I know, I know. I'm old man. I've I've been through. I've been in these fires before, man. Yeah, I fucking
1: know. Mr. Debate Club over here. Fucking. Yeah.
0: Up. I'm old. Um. No, this is a good album. This is a really good album. But the the problem was that uh, in the production, L.A. Posse, D- Dwayne Simon was the only L.A. Posse member to agree to work on this record because uh, everyone else wanted more money after Bigger and Deaf The success of that. I'm, I feel like we had a retrospective where that same thing happened. Exact same thing. I forget. It might have been. I don't think it was Farside. I forget who it was, but. Um, Def Jam obviously wouldn't budge. They they wouldn't pay more money. So Rick Rubin came back in, along with the Bomb Squad, which is a decent substitute lineup, to be 100% honest. Like, it's pretty cool. And LL actually had production credit on most of the album. Um, they were trying to hit some commercial peaks on this. Five singles were released, but only two charted on the Hot 100. Uh, going back to Cali, went 31, certified platinum. I'm that type of guy, number 15, certified gold. Um, the Argonaut, Wrote this this long article on going back to Cali and called it a very pioneering song in context and execution. It was actually Rick Rubin's concept that he was considering moving to L. A. from New York. Uh, the beat is incredible, and I think LL finds a great pocket on it. And the video was this like black and white feature film. It kind of looked like a Quentin Tarantino thing. Like it was really cool. Inco- it was really cool. LL actually said of it, uh, "This was a strange one. I went out of my comfort zone." It's funny because Rick Rubin always hated I Need Love. And there was a time when I hated going back to Cali. It ended up being something really special, but it took me a minute. It really did. And he said that Notorious Big's 1997 riff on it was a great compliment. I don't know why I say 90. Oh, I guess it was released in 97, but obviously he recorded it pre-97. So he said he took it back to the street, more traditional hip-hop, whereas I did more of a dusty, bluesy, alternative version. And LL copped it for this album. LL copped it. People felt he leaned way too heavily on the balladry, Uh, He actually said in his autobiography, My style had been getting a little tired, and I knew I wasn't feeling the people anymore. The reviews from mainstream critics were solid, but there was definitely criticism seeping in. Rolling Stone actually nailed it with this first paragraph, uh, and they said, Aesthetically speaking, LL Cool J probably couldn't have picked a worse time to release Walking With A Panther, his long-awaited third album. In 1987, the rappers Brash, Bigger, and Defer set new standards for rap music. Before then... Who would have thought rap could incorporate doo-wop, lush balladry, even a rewrite? Uh, I missed that bit. In the two years since, this is the part that's, that's important. In the two years since, the rules have changed drastically. Rap now encompasses everything from psychedelica to metal. Now think about the landscape in 1989. This is my whole point about LL having to reinvent himself. He had redefined what a hip-hop song could be along with Rick Rubin. He basically created the rap ballad. And he fused love songs with much harder edge lyrics, with genuine authenticity. Um, So all of a sudden, the native tongues led a movement of alt-rap that blew convention away and showed hip-hop could be literally anything. LL had to bounce back, and this is so key because this wouldn't be the last time he was in this position, but it was the first. And longevity is really difficult in hip-hop, especially at this stage. Like If you look at pioneers like Rakim and Slick Rick, who ended up losing their commercial relevance a few years into the 90s, what was LL gonna do to remain at the forefront and he could have slipped away but then we get Mama said knock you out and yeah. Um, yeah, I feel like uh, I don't
1: I, I, Walking with the Panther is a weird one because it's one it, I, I listened to it only a couple of days ago and it's it's just all the other albums have just completely engulfed. Any thought I had about walking with the panther, like it's it's so weird. Like, cause I I I, enjoy, I know I enjoy some most of this album. Like, I like going back to Cali. I I actually really respect that kind of uh, that just whole concept change. I don't think there was anybody. <clears throat> that, I don't think there was any other uh, New York based uh, artist um, doing just just speaking about anywhere else. Right, uh, like maybe maybe they were dreaming of someone or something, uh, somewhere else. You know, going to sun, sunnier clients, or you know, getting out of the hood, whatever. Right, mm. but not as, not as something as explicit as literally going back to Kelly, styling, profiling, ground and smiling while in the sun, top is down on the black Corvette, and it's flag because it's sitting on Dayton's naughty steering wheel, plushed out, goldie, phantom top, three girls weighing, like that is that imagery is so you can literally you can literally paint that. Mm. That imagery right there, like sun in the back, top down, black Corvette, natty steering wheel, plushed out leather, gold leaf fan and top. Like you can, you can, you can. Someone can make that and uh, make that image um, perfectly, or recreate that image. I should say perfectly. Um, I like that. I I love just that element of uh, switching it up uh, in terms of concept. Um, big old buck makes me laugh. Um, <laughs> It's just because, just because it's about a big old butt, you know. I'm mean? I'm here for that. <laughs> I'm I'm here for it. Uh, you know, what I mean, just uh, oh, Tina got a big old butt. <laughs> oh, I'm leaving you because Tina's got a big old butt. Fuck, you know that's just um. Yeah, I feel I feel bad for the other person uh, for the other woman, but you know, it is it's what tough, it is, man. It's um, what it is, yeah yeah, man, just, just, just got a big old butt, you know what I mean? Like, imagine that, you, you're leaving someone just because the other person is a big old
0: That's, <laughs> like, that's, the an shallowness. Early, oh, that's a late teens, early 20s decision you don't want to be repeating in your older age Bro, That's, that's um, mad, yeah. <laughs>
1: that's
0: crazy um, So,
1: yeah, um, I don't know, I don't know what it is about this album that just kind of just, uh, as soon as I listened to it, I was just like, yeah, that was, that was fine <laughs> nothing, nothing much to say about it. Uh, I mean, one nine hundred. Oh cool J was interesting as a you know. A, it reminds me of that. Uh, what's the what's the fo- what's the phone number thing uh, that J had? Uh, that that track. I forgot that one. 1900 yeah, hustler. That one, yeah, kind of reminds mm-hmm. me of that kind of thing in that uh, concept. So yeah, I like that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, apart from that, I just. I don't know. Yeah, it just kind of fell flat uh, compared to the, compared to literally all the other albums around it. Uh, it just came off as like a flat one. Uh, but I don't know. It's just it's, weird. it's a weird case.
0: Yeah, it's... Yeah, I don't know. I, I honestly think it has to do with... I mean, it's a third album. You know, it's not easy to keep that run going. Um, And we'd already heard two albums of this kind of stuff. So, you know, it wasn't that cutting edge. Maybe that was why. I don't know. But obviously think, we get...
1: I, I think in the... Sorry, I think in the way okay. that you were mentioning B A D um, and the music that was coming out around that time, I feel like Walking with the Panther really suffered from what was coming out around that time. I I, I probably would take a guess that was that was probably the one of the reasons why I wear because I like I said like I said near the beginning like at that around that point in the late eighties things started switching up like you and I've already said so when you get same old. You're just going to... You know what I mean? Just, it, might, it might get uh, People might have just fully stale, so...
0: Yeah, the only thing... I mean, yeah. I mean, like, looking back at it and looking back at the song that you mentioned, like, it's really interesting that that was... Uh, what's the right way to say it? Like, he was so young still. He was so young. And I feel like the next album he grew up and, like, really became... I don't know, with especially with taking on uh, Ice-T uh mc hammer and cool modi on that one song but like if you look at the song that you mentioned it's like he was just talking about cheating and the whole thing is about cheating and there was like a a cheating ballad and to me it kind of was like yeah maybe on your first album or your second album but by the time we got to your third album it's kind of like eh. i mean i guess jay-z had big pimp in volume three but like it just felt like ll could be more grown than that, and maybe that's why I didn't. That's why I didn't. I thought that song was a bit. You know, I don't know. Maybe I didn't like it as much as I could have. But I think on Knock You Out, you know, this was the one where he heard the criticism, and he actually said it was a conversation with his grandma about the criticism, and she responded, "Just knocked him out." So, yeah, it was it was a crazy record, man. And Marley Mar was on this record, LL man, like. He was on the ropes. He was, he was genuinely on the ropes. And we see exactly why LL Cool J will never, ever fall off. Because he has charisma. He has personality. Around the way, Girl went number 9 on the Hot 100. His first ever top 10. From the minute you heard, don't call it a comeback. I've been here for years. You know, this is gonna be something special, and it's exactly what we get. No nerves, no insecurities, no worries about the criticism he got on his last album. He just tore this down and he went at Cool Mod, Ice T MC Hammer, all on one song. So Cool Mod, um, it's worth noting that Cool Mod was part of Treacherous 3, which is one of the first groups that inspired LL to rap. Now Cool Mod apparently believed that LL stole his style and didn't appropriately credit. Then Kool crushed a red Kangol hat on his 1987 album cover, a piece of clothing that obviously LL was iconic for. And on the title track, How You Like Me Now, it's assumed Kool Moe Dee was throwing epic subliminals at LL and calling him a biter. So LL dropped Jack the Ripper, which was the B-side to Going Back to Cali. A lot of subliminals on that. This time LL called him a washed-up rapper and an old-school sucker punk, which is a very 1980s. Uh, term it's it's assumed there was sub- <laughs> it's, it's, it's like 80s man it's really 80s and uh there was there was some subliminals on jingling baby too and cool Moody actually names ll baby yeah cool note cool names ll on let's go in 1987 baby. playing off the ll and hammering him with a whole song so that was 1987 maybe cool Moody felt things were calming down but that was not the case the first verse is devoted entirely to cool Moody, and it's it's brutal um it kind of ended the beef as a competition although it continued to bubble after that with cool he consistently challenged ll to a live battle which he always declined and he just cited his sales supremacy as that so that was that was that then we get mc hammer ll actually said i didn't have a beef with mc hammer mc hammer had beef with me and he knows i love him that's my man and i love him i think he just said my name uh in a record for attention he did what he had to do. He came out and sold a lot of records and did his thing. But I never had any problems personally with Hammer. I lit him up because that's what I was supposed to do. Now Ice-T was even more interesting because Ice-T took shots at LL on I'm Your Pusher. And LL fought back on the third verse here. And this is one of the most iconic diss tracks of all time because this kind of elevated LL to almost mythical status. Like He had, he had all those firsts that he'd done. Um, Then he went at three rap, genuine heavyweights in one song. I mean, we talk about TakeOver going at uh, Prodigy and Nas. LL went at three. Like, and, you know, everyone who criticized him on his previous record for sounding too soft was instantly rebuked. It meant that he could sneak six minutes of pleasure on here with no worries. Um, there's a song called Murdergram on here. Eat 'em up L. Like this is a this is a oh, That's the thing, man. So he really came out of the gate with this one and he's like, you know what, I'm just gonna hammer everyone and he did it, man. He did it.
1: Yeah, um yeah, Eat em Up L Chill, MurderGram, like that, that's before Mammoth knock you out. Um uh, yeah, it's just great. Uh minor gripe with the fact that it's six minutes of pleasure, but the track is only four and a half minutes long. Uh, if you're gonna name something with uh, six minutes, it should be six minutes. But that's just me. Um, but yeah, I like uh, I like this album. Like I, lo- I love the background of it, especially of just um, how everyone's coming at him. And uh, yeah, it is. It, the the boxing analogies really come to the forefront. Uh, with this album and obviously the music video for Mama You Out as a lot of boxing imagery. Um, and yeah, I, I, I love that. I love the I feel like this is one of those albums where the background of it uh, kind of trumps the actual album itself in some ways, which is kind of fascinating. Um, and you know all that with all that said, the fact that Marley Ma Marle comes on to you know do the majority of the production is should be a really big thing to mention. Uh, because it's Marley Mole and, you know, and, and at that point that dude could have just like, uh, uh, f- he, 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 a, a, if you got his phone number at that point, like you, are you're, f- you're fucking, you're decent, yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, um, you're top tier. So, you know, the fact that he did all, all pretty much all of the album, uh, yeah, pretty much all of the album, uh, that's, that says something to me, um. Uh, as it pertains to just LL's uh, uh, st- 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 standing in the game at that point, because um, yeah, you know, I feel like people would have probably taken sides at that front, especially with the Cuomo cool D one. Because um, I-, I feel like the MC Hammer one is like more uh, because they're more contemporaries. It's like you know, just to-dos, just like you know, just just hashing out. But the the je- the the cool D gripe is. Very fascinating, considering, like you said, LL was, uh, you know, inspired by someone like Kulmo D and Treacherous Free and others. So that that has a lot of, um. it's always, it's always fascinating as a side note. It's always fascinating thinking about uh how hip hop works. And for me, I feel like the best, well, not the best, not the best beefs, but like the most, um. the fattest beefs always, can't, or, or always generational. You know what I mean mm. like the generational beefs are always just so they always come off like really hateration you know what I mean but I always think about it as like a genuine conversation that needs to be had but nobody ever has the conversation and most people just meme it or just you know say oh the old old, old head being old head but you know I feel like there's always a conversation that's necessary for uh, someone brings it up uh, and that was probably the first probably the first one in terms of like a generational beef but um, anyway apart from that uh yeah man this albums solid uh, like, you know just pumps to knock you out like it's great it's, it's it's calm uh it's a, it's, a, it's a solid album overall I do I, I did I didn't mention jingling baby uh, previously for the previous album because uh, I didn't really enjoy it but I do like the remix i I I do like the remix of that mm. uh he switched it up and made it a proper decent track that one so yeah shout out on that front. Yeah, would you call it a classic? That album, um, in a way, in a way, uh, I think in, in 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 the context of somebody's career, um, as a response to things going on around that person, uh, I feel like it's one of those albums where, uh, if you if you know the background of it, you're gonna understand why it's so talked about or why it's so. Um, uh why it's why it's highly documented. Um I I say I prefer B A D from for to this, um personally, um but I feel it's a classic in just a uh in a narrative sense I'd definitely say that. And obviously the tra the, the single itself is, you know, Stone Cold classic.
0: Mm. Um but yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, it's a classic in a lot of ways, yeah. So yeah, we get 14 Shots of the Dome, which is his fifth album, and it's 93. It's 93 and things had changed, man. Hip hop had changed a lot. It was diversifying heavily. And the New York scene was still, you know, it was it was heading into the boom bap direction. And LL was at a bit of a crossroads here. And a lot of people feel like LL fumbled it on this record because he kind of tried the New York plus LL uh, sorry plus LL plus L A fusion and a lot of throwbacks a lot of lyrical and sonic throwbacks like pink cookies you know and the story of that song actually is that ll was smoking weed with someone one day and he was hallucinating and that was one of the so- the things he hallucinated the title to that song and the album is a bit of a weird trip in that sense um how i'm coming was a lead single went 57 a uh, very hard-edged song then pink cookies is hilarious it, it sounds more like something digital underground might drop than ll and you know this was released alongside Backseat and my Jeep, which did quite well at number forty-two. But the album I feel is a bit of a mess, um, and I think that's probably why. Like I maybe when I was researching, I just thought, oh, this is a good way, good place to end. And I didn't think about what I'd said in the, sig- the signal chat about us going to the next album. But I felt like the reason why this was a decent time to end it on this podcast was like it's twenty twenty-one right now, and obviously LL is one of the most successful rappers of all time. And he was in 1993 too, but if he didn't do anything for the next 28 years, he wouldn't be anywhere near the stature he is now. He still hadn't dropped a number one album at this point. And this was an era when number one albums were becoming a requirement for really big artists. And 14 shots to the dome showed me an artist who was a little bit confused about his place in the game because it was a full eight years after his debut, and in that eight years, hip hop had grown exponentially, almost like the big bang. It had just expanded so quickly to every different corner of the musical map, and you know, artists artists from the 80s were trying to they were trying to pick their niche. Like we look at Ice Cube as someone who did it really beautiful. But if we looked at someone like Ice-T, maybe Cool Mo D, Slick Rick, Eric B and Rakim, you know, it was really difficult for them to transition into the mid to late 90s. Um, And LL had actually proven himself already in every single arena before 14 Shots to the Dome. But what to do next? And, you know, when we've done a lot of these retrospectives, we've ended on the fifth album. You know, a lot of artists didn't even get to a fifth album, two, three, four albums, especially the groups we've been doing lately. So, and that was over a long period of time, not eight years. You know, it's it's a short amount of time to drop eight albums, sorry, five albums. So I find it fascinating that he was at this crossroads right now, but like where to go next? And I find the next 10 years of his career super fascinating because he could fail. Just because Def Jam was doing really well around this time doesn't mean anything if your music isn't hitting. And fourteen shots to the dome was actually LL's first album not to go platinum. It did chart at number five, but it was poorly received with critics, and it slipped off the radar pretty quickly, which is a fast fall when you consider 1990. He dropped basically classic album, um, so that's why I find it a fascinating record to end on, and like it kind of sets the scene. Like okay, 1995 is Mr. Smith. Think about 95, man. Illmatic had come out, Ready to Die had come out. Doggy style had come out. Now, where do you go after that? Because those are pivotal records that changed the sound of hip-hop forever. The Chronic, obviously. Um, Quick as a Name, these kind of records. G-Funk had blown up. And, like, where do you go from there? So that's why, yeah, I think it's going to be interesting to talk about next week.
1: Yeah, um, I feel like 14 Shots is Mama Said Knock You Out, but without Mama Said Knock You Out. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah, you know I mean, like, I feel like it's more of the same. And while I don't mind that, um, it's just, um, there's not much, uh, th- there's no, there's no standouts, um, to, to, to me when I listen to it. If you, if you, uh, if you told me to guess the singles, I wouldn't know. Um, Pink Cookies uh, but... is the
0: only standout because like, it's just crazy. Like everyone kind of is like, that's yeah, a weird ass yeah. song, but it's not that the song's <laughs> that, iconic. It's more the title is really wild. <laughs> yeah. Oh uh, yeah. I was, I was so
1: I was so confused by that. <laughs> I was just so fucking confused of why that was called "pink cookies in a plastic bag getting crushed by buildings." <laughs> what? What? What are you smoking? Like, what, what are you, you smoking? <laughs> um. Yeah, but whatever. Um. Yeah. So we That weird track aside. Um. You know. I. 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 I one thing. I. One thing. I'll finish on. Um. Um. And I haven't really said uh, until now. Um, is, uh, you know, L.O.L. can do a really good intro track. Like His first tracks always give you something. Um, they always set the tone nicely, um, and they're always one of the better tracks in the album. Um, How I'm Coming is a good uh, example on this particular album, and uh, it, I think it's the case on all the other albums. I I've, I feel like the first tracks always give off the... Um, they they do what intro tracks I feel should do. They intro the album. They give you. They set the tone. This is what the album's going to be. This is what you should be expecting. Um, or 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 take that and then flip it and say this is what you should be expecting. But then three tracks later, I'm going to give you something completely different. But that's same here or there. Um, that's saying it's artistry. Um, but yeah, I just um, yeah I I just felt like this is, this album is just really. It's more of the same, which I am not complaining about. But like you said, comparing it to things that uh, are going around at that point, it just doesn't compare. I uh, it it, re- it it just can't. It, it simply can't compare. Uh, I'm just trying to like think of uh, another like, bro, bro, like, cube was doing. America's most wanted death certificate, the Predator and Lethal Injection from yeah. ninety to ninety three. I mean that's like, just that's that impossible. Alone. You can't just beat. that alone. No There's one's nothing beating that There's, run.
0: Like yeah. You know what
1: I mean? Like that that's 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 just one example. That's it's probably unbelievable. one of the best examples. But you know <laughs> you can't be giving me fourteen uh, shots to the dome. Like if you if you if you're saying like I'm I'm the best out here, uh and you're giving me fourteen shots to the dome when somebody else is giving me fucking uh four classics back to back to back to back so pff, i i i don't know um it's 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 one of those things and uh yeah while i can't complain much about the album itself it's just when you when you when you look in the it, this is just the thing with cool J and i think uh, this will um i think this will may, maybe bleed into uh, the next the next episode but um uh, the opinion, anyway, but I feel like if you look at LL Cool J as just LL Cool J, um, the, the trajectory is interesting, um, consider especially considering where he was, um, in the hip hop lexicon. Like, LL Cool J was a very, very, very big name, but then you just look outside and you're just like. Oh, this oh, so this album dropped the same year as this album. Well, that doesn't compute. <laughs> you know what I mean, so yeah, it's, it's uh is the the next uh, next um, uh, next uh, next episode is gonna be interesting. Uh, I will I will say that. Uh, I don't know where it's gonna go, but um, yeah, it's, it's gonna be fascinating.
0: All those artists, you know, that were incredible in the early nineties. It's like they came out. In the early '90s, like a lot of the pioneering ones, like we got Dr. Dre. I mean, I know we had N.W.A. pre-1990s, but I mean, as a solo artist, Dre, Cube, uh, Tribe, like all these groups were. It was. It seemed to be harder for '80s artists to transition rather than the new artists just to come out. In my experience, anyway, like that's what it it seems. I think with LL, he kept every subsequent every subsequent album. He would, apart from radio to bigger and deaf eye. I didn't feel like he'd try to recreate radio, but every time he he would try and recreate his previous album it wouldn't work, so then he'd go somewhere different and then he'd try to recreate that again. Yeah. And that wouldn't work, so then he'd I go mean, somewhere different. He samples different. his own old stuff. He samples it. Yeah, it's like it's it's just the thing that he did and it's really interesting the way he did it because yeah, I don't know, it's it's fascinating. It's like he was hopping around a little bit and, and struggling to find something defining you know he defined himself with his first album and then he struggled to reinvent himself after that but he still managed it it's kind of like um you know he was on the ropes and he just kept getting back in the game and, and doing it against all the odds like it almost feels like oh he's not going to be able to you know by the time uh walking with the panther comes out and you're like eh, maybe this is the end for LL. and then bang knock you out and then maybe 14 shots to the dome in 93 like eh. Yeah, maybe not. And then we'll get in a couple get of albums. We'll, Boom. Yeah. He'll have his number one album in a couple of albums. So yeah, it's a very yeah. fascinating career.
1: I want to. Uh, I'm going to ask this question, and I want a yes or no. Um, Would you say that the that the ten year stretch from eighty five to ninety five? I'll. Is the most has features the most volatile change from end to end in terms of an artistry and technology uh let's stick it to just hip hop for now but yeah do do you think that 10 year gap um is just like it's just incomparable in the evolution for everything that has to do with hip hop from technology to the bars to rhyme schemes to uh to the Beats, to the Engineering. Do you think that's like the most volatile evolution between from one from one year to another?
0: Oh, absolutely. I think you could even condense it to six years. I think you could say 88 to 94 because what was Great Adventures was... I think Great Adventures was 1988. Um, who's, who's Great Adventures? Slick Rick. Oh, Slick Rick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was 88. And then obviously Illmatic and Ready to Die was 94. And I think Doggy Star was 94, 93... Um, I just can't see like, it's, I, it's what it feels like the big bang to me. It's like, it just exploded in a, in an instant and then just went to every single corner of the musical landscape and hip hop now incorporated everything. And, you know, pre that there were people, you know, playing around with rock music and, but it just, I didn't have the, the scope that it had from 88 onwards. And yeah, I mean, it's never been touched. I don't think like, I think in There's been seismic shifts very quickly, like oh seven, oh eight into that, you know, two thousand and tens and then obviously there's a much more emotion and much more vibe focused hip hop now. But it that's a big shift, but it it wasn't going in the different directions that it was back then. I don't think you know, it's it's almost like the sixties for rock music in that sense. It's just like it's just gone everywhere after that it's just amazing and it must have been so hard being an artist an established artist around this time because where do you go what direction do you go in it's like new artists could do whatever they wanted they're just like yeah we do whatever we want but if you already had an established sound you want to still have that as a touch point but yeah man it's crazy period like amazing period
1: yeah exactly all right we'll finish it there if you want and hop into
0: ben's lighter note ben's lighter note. <laughs> So I have a lighter note this week. So if you've been listening for the last like six months, you know that I was prescribed cannabis a while back and I took it a few times and didn't do anything. Now we're in lockdown at the moment, so we can't drive anywhere. So last week I was like, I'll, I'll just try. I'll give it one more go and see what happens. So I took it a couple of days in a row and it did literally nothing. I didn't feel anything different, maybe a little bit. So yesterday I was like, okay, this is probably a week before I drive now. This is the absolute last opportunity I'm giving it. So I took it sublingually, so it's in an oil form, and I put it below my tongue and allowed it to, you know, uh, go into my bloodstream that way. I took it at 10:30 and I had a phone date at 2:30 in the afternoon. And I'm thinking like, I'm not going to feel anything because I haven't felt anything the last six times I've done it. I'm like so I had a phone call with my friend at 11:30. Everything was fine. Everything was perfectly normal. and then about two o'clock I started feeling a little bit weird. and then by 2:30 I was stoned. Like I was absolutely, I was, I was stoned and I couldn't cancel, I couldn't cancel this call with this, this phone date because I'm like, I'd already canceled one prior. (laughs) So I was like, now look, I used to drink a lot. Okay. I used to drink (laughs) a lot. So I know how I am when I'm drunk. Like i you know, when you, you've taken a drug a lot or whatever, like when you're a little bit under the influence, you know, how you act in that situation. So, but I have no idea what I'm like when I'm stoned. I don't know what I'm like. So I'm sitting on the phone, like, just looking out the window. I was shaking a little bit, which was weird. I started biting my lip because that felt really weird. And then I was playing my plant. But, like, luckily, I didn't have to talk a lot on this phone call. But I kept – I have no idea what I said a lot of the time. Like, I know what I said, but I don't know what order I said the words in. So sometimes I'd say something, and then there'd be nothing in response and I'd be like, Oh man, did I say the words that I meant to say but put them in the wrong order? It just turned into a complete mess, man. Two and a half hours on the phone. And um yeah, it was weird. It was so weird. I've never been stoned like that before. It was a weird weird experience for the first time at age thirty two to be stoned legally as well on medication that I was prescribed. It was a weird feeling.
1: Yes sir. Yes sir I, I was actually, uh, I, I was actually uh, on, the t- on the on on the tings uh, yesterday, watching the England game, and oh, yeah. that was um, that, that was that was interesting because we, we <laughs> I was watching it with, t- with two mates and I was just like, because oh, we were we were just supreme mellow, like it, the mellow was supreme, right? And I was just like, I feel like we should be more excited. <laughs> I'm so. Funny, yeah. Because we were just taking a four 0 like it was nothing, like it was just so casual. It's like, like okay, yeah, sure. Good, good. Oh, that was a real comfortable win. It's like super uh, measured uh, reaction. I don't know if that was just me and the fact that I don't exactly care that that much about if it's coming home or not. Um, but yeah, it was just it's just very f- funny just thinking about like literally maybe England's best performance ever. Uh, or top five especially, uh, uh, definitely. And I'm just reacting like, that was comfortable, wasn't it? I was yeah. Right? Yeah. That was right. Yeah. Was that,
0: fu- that was funny. That was, um, I mean, I actually watched the game after I ended the phone call and I was the same. I was just sitting there just chilling. I was fine. Like well, after, it, after it had peaked at about three o'clock, which was so weird. It was a long time to wait. He took it at 10.30. It's like four and a half hours later and it peaked. I don't know if that's normal, but that felt like a really long time to wait, and then started to like slow down and get much more mellow. And I just kind of sat and watched the game in a bit of a—I wouldn't say a zen state, but a very, very chilled state. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, my heart rate didn't go up very much. You know, I thought it was a great game. I thought England played incredibly well, and to be honest, that's the best I've seen them play in a really long time. They absolutely—they oh, yeah. dominated that game entirely. Um, it's going to be fascinating to see what happens when they come up against, like, I think, do they play Denmark next game? Or do they play Italy? Yep. Denmark. That's going to be an interesting game. And then Italy, Spain. So that'll be interesting. But I, I honestly think they could do it, man. I think they could bring it. I think they could do it. I think they could win it. Oh,
1: you, heard, you heard it first, guys. Ben thinks he's coming home. Bro, the,
0: the squad depth they have is crazy. Crazy. Phil Foden didn't even, didn't even play. Like, unbelievable squad depth, man. They, um, they got the best squad in the tournament. And I think they're going to do it. I think they're going to do it.
1: The Australian has said it. He's coming home, lads. He's coming home. And on that note, ladies and gentlemen, I'll leave it there from the 5th M Podcast Network. It's been Digging Digits. So enjoy this episode. I've been of the 5th M. Thank numbers. We hope you all have a good week. Wish I always try and do the same. But until the next time, take it easy, ladies and gentlemen. Alright, peace. Digging in Digits is produced by me and Ben Carter. The show is edited by me, music for the show, is piece and video games by bonus points, it's a chill records for the ability to use. Socials for the fifth element, hip-hop by numbers, bonus points and chill of records will be in the full show notes for every listening. This has been a fifth and podcast in our production, thanks for spending time with us, and wish i see you next time on Digging in the Digits.